Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So um, I was uh, talking to a friend recently about a personal frustration that I have, uh, something that I've been dealing with lately, and it, it's really just me being annoyed at me, uh, specifically in regards uh, to uh, my ability as a parent. Uh, if, if we haven't uh, met yet, uh, I'm Reed, and uh, I'm married to Morgan, and we have three kids. Uh, we have uh, our youngest, he is, uh, he's four, uh, his name's Landon, our middle one is Miles. He's seven. And our oldest, uh, she turned 10 today. And so today's her birthday. Yeah, people... You don't have to clap for her. That's really for me and my wife. Uh, all she did was just survive. And so, um, but yeah, so, uh, so she turned 10 today and, um, and, and so all of them, they're, they're different. They all have their own interests and, and, and they got their own like stuff that's like their thing. But, um, you know, recently, uh, my daughter, uh, she, she's our athlete. She's the one that she likes sports and she's, she's like wanting to try all the sports. My middle son, um, he does not have a competitive bone in his body. He's like, uh, we tried soccer one time with him and he was inviting kids on the other team to his birthday. And, uh, I was like, Hey buddy, that kid just scored six goals. He was like, he was great. And I invited him to main event and I was like, okay. Uh, so there's that. So he's not competitive at all, but he's, he is smart and he is kind. He's loving, he's creative and, uh, and, and he does chess club, which means my my other kids are going to work for him one day. And so like, he's awesome. And then, and then my youngest, he, he hasn't really found like his thing yet. Like, I mean, I guess his thing is like dinosaurs. He's, I don't know, he's four. So he doesn't have like a, a sport or a, a hobby yet. Uh, and so besides just waking up way too early. And so like, that's his thing, you know, um, but we're going to find his thing because he's driving us what's called insane. And so, uh, but, but our oldest, she's, she's into sports. And so we're letting her try, you know, different, different sports. She's, you know, she's, she's trying different things. Hey, you know, I heard my friends are doing this. I want to try this. And, um, and so she's, She's getting into sports, and as we're getting, you know, my, my wife and I, we're as we're as we're signing her up for sports and things like that. Um, uh, we've had to have this conversation about what kind of sports parents we want to be. Some of you nervously chuckle because the Holy Spirit's about to call you out. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, some of you need to repent at the end of today. But uh, yeah, I've been to Swanee Sports Academy, so. Um, but, but so uh, we, we had this conversation about what kind of sports parents we want to be. My wife and I both, we grew up playing sports um, all through high school. Um, and, and so like we, we, we played sports and we're both very competitive. If you meet my wife, you wouldn't think that she's competitive, um, but just keep, start keeping score and then you'll see, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and she has very sharp elbows. And so, um, so yeah, so, so, so we're both competitive. We both like, we, we both played sports. And, uh, and so my daughter, she's getting into some of the sports that we played. And so we sat down though, as we're signing her up uh, and we had this conversation about what kind of parents do we want to be? What kind of sport parents do we want to be? Um, and so, you know, we, we, we had this, this conversation. We said, okay, here's the kind of sports parents we want to be. All right. We want to be, we want to be supportive. We want to be positive. We want to be encouraging. 
We're like, These, this is what we want to be with our kids. We don't want to immediately be negative and critical and overbearing. We want to we want to behave uh, at the games uh, in a way that doesn't embarrass our kids, right? Like, like we 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 don't want to be the people that that act a fool and are yelling things out. Uh, we want to be the kind of parents that let the coaches coach, right? Uh, Which all the coaches are like, praise God, man. Uh, tell the other parents, and so uh, so we want to be the kind of parents that you know let the coaches coach. We want to be the kind of parents. We, we've said uh, we, we want to be the kind of parents uh, who, when when the game is over, uh, the kid still wants to get in the car with us and go home. We want to be those kind of parents. We want to be the kind of sports parents uh, who, uh, regardless of our kid's performance or the team's performance, uh, we don't allow their performance uh, to impact the rest of our weekend or our mood for the rest of the weekend, right? And so this is, you know, we, we kind of set this out. We're like, all right, this is, this is what we're hoping to be. This is kind of our goal for ourselves. This is what we are aspiring to be, the kind of parents. And, uh, and it sounded really great when we were like sitting down one night. We were like, oh my gosh, we are so spiritual. You know what I mean? Like, we're awesome. We're crushing this, right? We set our goals. This is amazing. And, uh, and then you guys, and then Blakely started playing sports. And, uh, and this has been, uh, this has been my, my frustration that I was sharing with my friend is that, man, I have these amazing aspirations, these goals, this type of parent that I hope to be for my daughter. And yet, uh, and yet as she's been playing sports, all those things that I said I wasn't going to do, uh, I find myself becoming and doing right uh, I find myself immediately, you guys, when, when, she, when she's uh, coming back from practice or when, when, when the game's over, I'm immediately going into, hey, here's what you could have done better. I'm immediately critical. I'm, in, I'm immediately offering feedback. I'm immediately going negative. I'm, I'm, I'm immediately on her case. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to let the coaches coach and, 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 and not yell, but you know, uh, I can only go so long before I'm like, pass the ball, you know, like, and so it's like, it's like, it just like, it comes out of me and then she can hear me on the court. <laughs> and, um, and then even the other night, um, you know, we got home uh, from a game that Blakely had just played and uh, my wife and I are having conversation. She's, you know, she's upstairs getting on her pajamas. The, the boys are getting on their pajamas and my wife and I are having this conversation. She goes, you're doing it. You're doing it. And it wasn't like an encouraging, like you're doing it, you know, it was like, a, you're doing it again, you know? And, and she pointed out to me, she's like, gosh, all that stuff that we said we weren't going to do all that stuff you said you weren't going to do. She goes, you're doing it. And she said, your daughter didn't want to ride home with you from the game the other night. She wanted to ride with me. And none of the kids ever want to ride with mom. They always want to ride with dad. You know what I mean? Like I'm a more fun driver. And so like, so that like, like, like she goes, but she wanted to ride home with me because she knew after the game that you were going to immediately start critiquing her and giving her feedback. And she just wanted somebody to be positive and encouraging and supportive. She goes, you're doing it. The thing that you said you weren't going to do, you're doing it. And I was telling my friend this. I was like, man, I'm so frustrated, right? Because I know who I want to be. And then there's who I really am. I, I know the type of dad that I desire to be, that, that my daughter deserves, right? Like I, I know the type of parent that I'm hoping to be, that, that, that God, I believe, has created me to be, right? Like I know the type of parent I want to be, and then there's the parent that I really am. 
And, and I'm like, what's the deal with that? And my friend, he, he was trying to encourage me, I think. And uh, this, is what he, this is what he said to me like in, in, in his encouragement. He said, Reed, none of us are consistently who we wanna be. So I think he was trying to commiserate, but I was just like, well, that sucks. I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's terrible. Like, what, like none of us are consistently who we wanna be. And I thought about it and I was like, man, that's, that's frustrating. That's disappointing. But it's true, isn't it? It's true. None of us are consistently who we want to be. None of us. I've found, you know, just in, in life, in my own life, in, in ministry, and in talking to lots of different people, uh, that, that this is so true that in, in all of us, within all of us, there's like, like the, there's these two versions of us that exist. There's the aspirational you, and then there's the actual you. The, the aspirational you is awesome, aren't they? The aspirational you is, is amazing. There's this aspirational you, this you that, that you want to be, that, that you desire to be, that you long to be, that, that others need you to be, that, that God created you. There's this aspirational you and, and that person, oh, they're disciplined, they're consistent, they're encouraging, they're positive, they're, they're kind, they're generous, they're, they're driven, they're hardworking, they follow through on the things that they say that they're gonna do. There's this, like, there's this aspirational you. And then, and then there's actual you. And actual you is, let's be kind to ourselves. Actual you is not aspirational you, right? Actual you Actual you for a lot of us is inconsistent, often undisciplined. Actual you is easily angered, impatient. Actual you is, is one person one, one place and, and another person another place. You're one person at work and then you're another person at home, right? There's a, bit, there's a difference there's a difference between actual you and, and aspirational you. And so there's, there's the you that you want to be. And then there's the you that you are. There's this aspirational you. There's this actual you. And then there's this gap between the two, right? There's the aspirational you and there's the actual you. And then there's the gap between the two. And the, the frustrating thing uh, about this gap, right? This gap can be so annoying, right? It can be annoying. It can be frustrating. It can be, it can be discouraging. The bigger the gap is, right? The, the more discouraging it can be. When the gap is really big and when the gap won't seem to go away, as a matter of fact, when the gap seems to keep growing, it can honestly feel not just discouraging, it can feel defeating. Like, is this ever gonna change? Is this just who I am? Is this just how things are going to be? I mean, I see other people and they seem to have got this figured out, but maybe it's just not in the cards for me. There's this aspirational you and there's the actual you and then there's the gap between the two and that gap can be so frustrating because we know, we know who we want to be. We know who we, who we desire to be. We want to be, we want to be a better spouse. We want to be a better parent. We want to be a better friend. We want to be a better neighbor, a better coworker, a better person. We want to be a better follower of Jesus. We want to be more healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, like, like we can see who we want to be. And then there's who we are and there's that gap. And to experience that gap, you guys, is, 
That's, that's not a religious thing. That's just a, that's a human thing. We have all, you, you, if you've lived at all, you've experienced this gap. And the question is, what do we do with that gap? What do we do with that gap? How do we, how do we shrink that gap? Maybe we can't make the gap completely go away between who we are and, and, and who we desire to be, but, but how do we shrink that gap? How do we become more the people that, that we desire to be, that, that others need us to be, that, that God created us to be? How, how do we deal with, how do we address that gap? That's what we're going to be talking about in this series. We're starting a brand new series this morning uh, called Real Change, uh, Becoming Who You Were Meant to Be. And in this series, we're going to talk about who you're becoming. And we're going to talk about how it is that we can experience real and lasting change, the process by which we can experience real and lasting change, not temporary and superficial change, which is what so many of us have bumped into in certain seasons of our life where we've experienced a little bit of change only to find ourselves right back with the same size gap as we had before, right? But, but we're going to talk in this series about how we can experience real and lasting change, right? How we can become more the people that we were meant to be, that others need us to be, that our heavenly father has created us to be. How do we experience real change? And so this morning, uh, as we're kicking off this series, we're gonna, we're gonna take a look this morning at uh, the, the teachings of uh, somebody uh, in the New Testament who was uh, intimately familiar with the gap that we're talking about. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Paul. He's uh, also called the Apostle Paul, right? And if you've been around our church uh, for any length of time, you've heard us talk about Paul. Uh, if you're new around church uh, or you're new back to church, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and this morning, we're going to be talking uh, about this guy named Paul. And, uh, and if you're not familiar with Paul, uh, then let me just give you a, a little bit of background on Paul. He was a first century Jewish religious leader uh, who, originally um, when, he, when the message of Jesus uh, entered the scene and, and people were, began talking about this, this Jewish leader who lived, died, and then rose from the dead and they began to spread that message about love and forgiveness and freedom in Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul was completely opposed to it. Uh, he actually uh, made it his goal to shut down the Christian movement. Um, but in his life, he ends up having a, a life-changing encounter with Jesus and it changes everything. And he goes from a, a persecutor of the church to a church planner, a missionary, and actually one of history's greatest uh, religious thinkers and, um, and, and writers. And so he wrote much of what we have uh, and, and call our New Testament of our Bibles. And he writes all these letters to these churches that he helps start. And in one of his letters, what I love about Paul is that while he was this influential uh, Christian, this influential church leader, uh, he's also just human. He's just a guy and he's honest about uh, the things that he's struggled with. He's honest about his past. He's honest uh, about his struggles. And, and, and in Romans, which is what we're going to be looking at today, in Romans chapter seven, uh, the apostle Paul talks about his battle with the gap. He talks about his own personal struggle with this gap between who he wants to be and who he was, right? And so he talks about this struggle with the gap and he talks about his own personal battle with trying to change. 
And in this, right, he's going to talk to us about uh, how he tried to change and what ultimately ended up leading to change, real and lasting change. And so I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says, because he describes what I believe is for many of us the same struggle to change. And then he gives us a clue. He gives us a hint uh, at how real change actually happens. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says uh, in Romans chapter seven. He says this. In Romans 7, chapter 15, he starts off and he says, I do not understand what I do. Same, Paul. He's like, I don't understand. He says, for what I want to do, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read through this and it's gonna sound like I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. I'm just reading what he's saying, so he's crazy, but hopefully we'll relate. He says, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, meaning like, like, like God's law, meaning the way God says things ought to be. He's like, the fact that I do the wrong thing, but feel bad about it, he's like, is just me agreeing with the fact that there's a way things ought to be, and that's not me, right? And so he says, as it is, it's no longer myself who do it, uh, I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me, right? He's like, I've got this thing in me, this selfishness, this sin, this self-centeredness that's inside of me that's actually undermining all of my efforts. He's like, there is something in me that undermines my ability to actually change. He's like, it's this thing called sin. It's selfishness, it's self-centeredness, it's me and my desires and my inclinations and me pursuing those, right, at everyone else's expense. That's sin. That's selfishness. He goes, and I got this thing inside of me and it's living in me and it's undermining all of my efforts to change. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That's my sinful nature. Again, that's my own like inside of me brokenness. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I do not. But the evil I do not want to do. Sorry, there's a lot of do's and do-nots and do-do-do-do-do-do. And in student ministry for 16 years, we just called this the do-do verse. And so, um, but it's, I mean, yeah, sorry, I got tongue twisted. But he says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's this, again, it's this sin living in me. It's inside of me that does it. He says, so I find this law at work. This, this thing, this is that's at work. It's a law. It's like, I can't change it. It's fixed. I find this law at work in me. He says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a, he says, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul says, it's like, it's not even, he's like, it's not even that it's hard to change. He uses that word prisoner. He goes, it's not even like it's hard for me to change. He's like, it's like I'm a prisoner. He's like, so it's not just challenging, it's impossible. He's like, I I literally feel this struggle where it's like, I know who I want to be. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know the changes that I need to make. And he goes, and yet try as I might, no matter how hard I work, 
He's like, I keep doing the thing that I know I'm not supposed to do. And I keep undermining my own change and I keep undermining my own success and I keep undermining my own growth. And he goes, it's this, it's this thing within me, this sin, this selfishness that is inside of me. And so he says, I can't, I can't change it. He says, it's like, I'm, I'm like a prisoner to it. I literally like, I can't change it. He says, what a wretched man I am. What a mess. What a piece of work. What a mess. What a wretched man I am. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In vivid detail, the apostle Paul talks about his struggle with the gap. He says, look, there is this person that I know that I'm supposed to be, this person that I know I ought to be, this person that I long to be. Paul is so vivid in the language. It's like, he's going like, there's this person I am aching to be. I desire it desperately and yet try as I might and I keep trying. He's like, I I fail to be. And the thing that I said I wasn't gonna do, I find myself doing it. And maybe I got a week or two of like, victory, but then, you know, I'm right back at it again. And I'm going back to those same habits. I'm going back to those same websites. I'm going back to those same behaviors. I'm going back to that same group of friends. I'm going back to that same relationship, or I'm going back to the same types of relationships. And I just keep running back to that thing. He's like, try as I might, there's something in me that is undermining me. He's like, I can't change. I can't change. Then he says, I'm a wretched man. Paul describes what so many of us experience when it comes to our efforts to change and to close the gap between who we are and who we want to be. This is, this is, this is what so many of us experience, right? His description is, right, we, we see the gap, we recognize the gap, and then he says, this is, this is what Paul describes. He says, and I'm going to write and my handwriting is terrible, just so you know. So I'll say what I'm writing so that you don't have to read it, but I like to draw it out. It can be helpful for those of you that can decipher hieroglyphics. Um, and so I'm gonna write this, uh, but don't judge me. My mom said that people that have bad handwriting are very smart. And so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, te- she watched the, the message and she texted me after the first message and she was like, you are smart, baby. You're a genius. And so I was like, mm-hmm. So here's, here's what Paul though describes. And this is, this is the, the, the cycle that so many of us get trapped in when it comes to our attempts to change, our attempts at change, our attempts to address that gap, to close that gap, to become the person that we know we're meant to be, that others need us to be, that God has created us to be. He says, so many of us in that attempt, we find ourselves in this cycle, right? Where he says, we see the gap and then step one, we, we, we try hard. We try hard. He goes, okay, so I see the gap, so now I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do the right things. I'm going to make an effort. And then... What he says is, what eventually happens in every single one of us, what happens is, our willpower weakens. Our willpower weakens. 
right? This is what all of you have experienced at some point, right? When you've tried to change, just like, all right, I'm just going to white knuckle my way through this. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to try really hard. And then what you've all experienced, what we've all experienced at some point or another is that, is that in your efforts to change your willpower weakens because willpower will always eventually wear out. Willpower always eventually wears out. It just does. None of us has an inexhaustible supply within us of willpower, right? Now, there are things that you can do uh, that help you to grow and to get more willpower and you can increase your capacity of willpower, but willpower will always eventually run out. It just does, right? For some of you, if you're a parent, yours is out by like 10 a.m. That's it, right? Like, that was it. That was all I had. That was it. I was going to eat good today. Forget it. Give me the donut. You know what I mean? Like you're like, like the willpower is gone, right? Like, like, and so willpower will always eventually run out. And and you know this, listen, because, because think about this. This is why all of our like worst decisions and worst regrets typically happened after 10 PM, right? Yeah. After yeah, you're like, yes, that was called high school. That was my entire experience. That was, that was college, right? Like, like we, we make, we make poor decisions. It gets late at night. And, and, and it's because eventually throughout the day, your willpower just weakens. It just runs out. So it's why you tend to make some of the worst decisions late, late at night. Cause willpower always eventually runs out. And Paul says, Hey, this is, you know, we see the gap. He said, this is the cycle. I've, I see the gap. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try really, really hard. And then my willpower weakens and it eventually runs out. And so then what happens? I fail. So I see the gap. I'm going to try really, really hard. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to make a greater effort. Eventually my willpower wears out and, and this thing inside of me, nothing's changed in me. And so I'm trying to change my behaviors, but this sin, this selfishness, these desires, these impulses, they eventually wear me down and get the best of me. You know, I, I did good at managing them for a week. I did good at managing them for a couple weeks. I did good at managing them for a month, maybe a year, but then eventually my willpower ran out and now here I am and I failed again. And I'm back to that behavior and I'm back to that habit and I'm back to that, 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 that negative, you know, escape. And now, now, now I'm back to that relationship. I'm back to another relationship. That's just like the last relationship that I swore I would never get into. And now I'm doing the things that that I said I wasn't going to do. And the stuff that I said, oh, you're going to do this. I'm not doing them anymore. So I fail. So we try hard, willpower weakens, we fail. And then what Paul shows us, what creeps in, this is guilt um, and shame. So then we, we try, our willpower weakens, we fail. And then what do we do? That's when the negative self-talk comes in. And that's when like Paul, we go, what a wretched person I am. Which wretched, you probably don't call yourself that. You know what I mean? Like it's a great vocabulary word, but you're like, what, what a, what's wrong with me? What, 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 what's my problem? 
Like, like I'm, I'm just like, and, you, and, and the negative self-talk comes in and you go, what kind of, like, what kind of person am I? What kind of a loser am I? What kind of a failure am I? I can't believe I did this again. What, why can't I get my act together? Why do I keep doing this? You start beating yourself up. I'm probably always going to be like this. This is, this is just the way it is for me. I guess I'm just always going to struggle with this. I guess I'm just always going to do these things. And so the guilt and the shame piles on. And so the gap, it stays or it grows. And then you're right back here. And you're trying hard again. This is the cycle that Paul said, this is where, this is where I found myself. He's describing his life and his own struggle with the gaps. And he goes, this is the, the cycle that I, that I found myself in. He's like, this cycle of recognizing a gap and committing to try really, really hard. Eventually my willpower wears out. Then I fail. Then I turn around. I condemn myself. Uh, I, I end up with guilt and shame heaping it on me. And then I'm back to trying hard to change again. And it's this cycle of trying and weakening and failing and guilt and trying. And, weak, and, and he's like, this, this is the cycle. And this is where so many of us have found ourselves, still find ourselves today when it comes to our efforts to change, when it comes to our efforts. And it's the reason why for so many of us, the only kind of change we've ever really experienced was temp- temporary or superficial. We experienced a little bit of change for a little bit while we were trying hard until our willpower weakened. And then, and then we ultimately failed, we fell short and we were right back to where we started. It's the reason why so many of us have experienced temporary and superficial change, but maybe we haven't experienced real and lasting change. Paul says, that's where I found myself, in this cycle. That's where many of us find ourselves, in this cycle, trying to manage the gap with our own effort and our own energy and our own abilities. And Paul kind of exasperated, see what he says? He asks this question as if like out into the air. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He's like, man, I'm in this cycle. I can't get out. I can't seem to change. I can't seem to break it. Uh, I end up doing all the things that I hate. I don't even understand what I'm doing. I feel like a prisoner in my own little cycle of just like awful shame. And so he's like, here I am. And I I have no power to change. And, And he's like, just like, what am I missing? Can anybody help me? That's what he's saying. Can anybody save me from this cycle? Can anybody rescue me? Meaning like, can anybody get me out of this cycle? Can anybody get me out of this cycle and show me a different way? Is there a better way? Am I missing something here? Now, he's gonna answer his own question. And what he's gonna answer is what he discovered. And and what he discovered is that it wasn't necessarily something that he was missing, but it was someone. And for many of you, the same is true. That it's not necessarily something that's missing, but it's, it's someone. And this is what Paul says in response to his own question. He's like, all right, is anybody gonna be able to rescue me? How do I get out of this cycle and experience real change? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, look, I've experienced real change. He's like, look, this was the cycle I was stuck in. This is what he's saying in Romans seven. 
This was the cycle that I was stuck in. Trying, weakening, failing, guilt and shame, repeat. He goes, I was stuck there. He says, but I've experienced real change. I am experiencing real change. He's like, it's happening for me. I am, I am actually getting to watch the gap between who, who I want to be and who I really am, and it's shrinking. I am experiencing real change. He says, I just realized I was going about it the wrong way. He says, I'm experiencing real change. He said, who could rescue me? And he goes, thanks be to God. No, I said, there's an answer. There's a solution. But he says, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, I've experienced real change, but it wasn't trying and trying and trying. He says, I experienced real change actually when I, when I turned and I trusted and I invited God to do a work in me. You see, the apostle Paul, he's pointing something out, out to us here. He's teaching us something here about real change, about how you and I can experience real and lasting change And that is that when it comes to real change, you guys, real change isn't first and foremost, it isn't about behavior modification. It's about a spiritual transformation. This is what the apostle Paul has discovered. This is what he's been taught. This is what he's experienced. He says, hey, I spent all that time trying to change behavior modification. I'm gonna change some things on the outside. I'm gonna change some things on the outside. I'm gonna change some things on the outside. All the while inside, I've got this sin and this selfishness that undermines me at every single turn. And so he says, look, you can try all the behavior modification that you want, but what you really need, if you want to experience real and lasting change, what you need is not first and foremost behavior modification. He says it's spiritual transformation. He says, if you want to experience real change, it starts in here. You need need something deeper than just some better habits. You need something deeper than just a new routine. You need something deeper than a journal with your like three tasks and a vision board. You know what I mean? He's like, you need something deeper than that. You need more than behavior modification. You need spiritual transformation. How do you get out of that cycle? He's like, God's got to come into your life and do a work. You need some heart transformation. Otherwise, otherwise, you guys, I wrote this down. Uh, I was reading this the other day. Otherwise, if you change your behavior, but you don't change your heart, the old behavior is always bound to come back. If, if you just change your behavior, if you just focus on external behavior, if you just focus on working on you and not inviting God to do a work in you, if you start there and you're just working on changing your behavior, but you haven't had a change of heart, then the old behavior will just come back every single time and you'll find yourself stuck and circling and you'll be trying and your willpower will weaken and you'll fail and you'll beat yourself up and you'll be right back to where you started. And Apostle Paul says, oh, so you gotta get this. You don't need just behavior modification. You need spiritual transformation. You need God to do a work in you. You need to be delivered out of that cycle. You need to be rescued from that cycle. And some of you will be asking, okay, well, read how does trusting in Jesus 
the person and work of Jesus? How does trusting in Jesus and inviting God into our hearts, like how does that actually transform us? How does that change anything, right? Like I, I, I went to 15 middle school camps, prayed the prayer every single time, came down, I've been baptized 11 times. And like, like how does that work, right? Like, like how does trusting in Jesus and inviting him in, like, like how does that actually work? The Apostle Paul outlines it actually in Romans chapter eight. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. If you're interested in what real change looks like and how it occurs in our lives by trusting in Jesus, you should go read Romans eight. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's encouraging. It's convicting. It's all of those things. It's a really great read. But I'll give you just kind of high level I'll give you three things that Paul says that Jesus does. If, if, you will, if you will put your trust in him, invite him to do a work in you, this is what he comes and does for you, which allows us and opens the door for us to experience real and lasting change. He says, he starts off right at the beginning. He says that one of the first things, if you, if you will put your trust in Jesus and invite him in, he, he, says, he says, first and foremost, what he'll do is he'll forgive your sins. He says in Romans 8.1, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, meaning your sins have been forgiven, which is an amazing thing, past, present, and future because of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection on your behalf, your sins have been paid for which is really, really good news because you know what that means? That means, he says, he says there's, there's now no condemnation. So when you fail and fall short, you, the negative self-talk, you guys, when you put your trust in Jesus and you know that your sins are forgiven and you begin to trust in that, he says the negative self-talk can go. So that when you fail and fall short, which inevitably we're going to, when we fail and fall short, he, he, goes, he goes, when you fail and fall short, instead of beating yourself up and beating yourself down and speaking guilt and shame and condemnation over you, right? He says the negative self-talk can go. He's like, you can just completely eliminate that, which is, you guys, for a lot of you, one of the things that's been holding you back is this guilt and shame and condemnation that you've been speaking over your life. And it beats you down and it holds you back and it keeps you from moving forward. And Paul goes, oh, but what Jesus does is when he comes into your life, he forgives your sin. So the condemnation, the guilt, the shame, that's gone. And then he, he goes on and he says in, in, in 8.2, it's like he continues the sentence. He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit gives life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. He says, not only does Jesus, when he comes into your life, right? When you put your trust in him, not only does he forgive your sin, but he says he actually sets you free from sin. Meaning, what Paul was talking about earlier, he says, the reason why I keep getting stuck is I'm trying to change things on the outside all the while I've got selfishness living on the inside. And he says, and I'm, it's, it's like I'm, a, I'm, I'm being mastered by it. I'm, I'm a slave to it. It's controlling me. I'm a prisoner to it. He says, but when you invite Jesus in, you put your trust in him, he says, what Jesus will do is not only does he forgive your sins, but he will set you free from sin. He'll set you free from that, which means that you don't have to answer whenever sin comes knocking in Jesus Christ. You can actually say no because now you've got a new Lord of your life and his name is Jesus and his way is love and he's going to lead you and empower you into a life that is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. He goes, he sets you free from sin and shame. You don't have to answer whenever sin comes calling. Sin is not your master anymore. You have a new Lord of your life and his name is Jesus. So now you don't have to say yes every time those selfish desires rise up. So he says he forgives us. 
He frees us from the power of sin and death. And then he says, ultimately, he says, what he does is he fills us up. This is in Romans 8, 11. He says he actually puts his spirit. He says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He says, hey, when you put your trust in Jesus and you invite him to do a work within, he says, oh, he will forgive your sin. He frees you from sin. And then he fills you up with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So now living in you, if you put your trust in Jesus and invite him in, he says, now living in you, you put your trust in him, he puts his spirit in you. He says, now living in you is a power that's not of you, that is greater than you, and now empowers your effort to be new and different. He goes, so now you're not just working at change by your own effort. He goes, but no, you've got another source that's in you, empowering your efforts. He goes, oh, he's like, this, this is how real change begins. And you notice I say begins because personal responsibility, you guys, absolutely. Do we have a part to play in this process? Yes, we're gonna talk about it next week. We're gonna talk about your part. But what you need to understand and what the apostle Paul has come to understand and he shares with us is that if you want to experience real change, lasting change, it is first and foremost spiritual transformation, not behavior modification. He goes, you need a change from within first. You need to be changed from the inside out. Otherwise, you're gonna focus on the behavior and the behavior is going to come back again. So, are you sick of being stuck? Are you tired of trying and working and failing and repeating? Are you bothered by the gap, but unsure what to do with it? The invitation, Apostle Paul says is, hey, what if instead of just trying harder, what if instead you trusted in Jesus and invited him to do a work within? He says that, that my friends is where real change begins. And so you guys, I've been thinking about this and I'll finish with this. So if I wanna be, if I wanna be the dad, y'all, that I wanna be, if I'm gonna be the dad that, uh, that my little girl needs me to be, if I'm gonna be the dad that my heavenly father has called me to be, what I've learned is I'm not gonna get there just trying harder. Sure, I've got some effort that I gotta put in, but I'm not gonna get there just trying harder. Real change, it's deeper than that. It's gonna have to start with spiritual transformation. It's gonna have to start with me trusting in Jesus and inviting him to do a work in me to put that selfishness and that sinfulness to death, to give me new desires and a new mindset and to give me a strength and a power that doesn't come from me to help me to be that dad. The same thing is true for you guys. If you're gonna be the spouse that you wanna be, that you... If you're going to be the, the parent that you want to be, that you need to be, that God's called you to be, if you're going to be you know, the friend, the roommate, the, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, if you're going to be the person, uh, the coworker, whatever, if you're going to be that person that you want to be, that you long to be, that others need you to be, that ultimately God is calling you to be, you need to know it doesn't start with behavior modification. It ultimately starts 
and hangs on spiritual transformation. Inviting God in and trusting him to transform you from the inside out. This, you guys, is where real change begins. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you care about who we're becoming. You care about where we're going, where we end up in life. You care about the people that we are, the parents that we are, the the spouses that we are, the, the friends, the teammates, the classmates, all of that. You care about who we're becoming. And ultimately, you want to lead us to live in love like Jesus. Um, but try as, our, try as we might, we, we can't get there on our own. And so, God, forgive us for when we try to change everything on our own effort and ability. And God, for those of us that are feeling stuck, we've been stuck in that cycle. We've been trying and failing and beating ourselves up and then trying again. God, I just pray that you would help us. Help us today to open up our hands, to invite you in to open up our lives, to trust you, to transform us from the inside out. Because we know that that, that is where real change begins. It's trusting, not trying. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.